FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next. Welcome, and you are listening to and perhaps even watching the Financial Survival Network. I'm Kerry Lutz. Today is August 17th, 2020. Well, we have so much to talk about today. Uh, I want to thank all of you for your comments on the YouTube channel. Website is coming up shortly. Uh, updated website in the final throws on Friday. The transition should take place. Like to know your thoughts about the new site. There's a uh, link on financialsurvivalnetwork.com. You can just click right through to it. Tell us what you think. First update in 10 years, just about. Well, big news here. Big, big news. First, any questions, comments, and what you think about precious metals, just tell us, kl at kerryletz.com. Well, John Rubino, dollarcollapse.com with us. John, the, we're looking at your list of items here. And number one is uh, somebody by the name uh, with the initials WB just bought into Barrick Gold. I'm talking about Warren Buffett. Uh, this happened on Friday, late Friday. What would lead the uh, wizard of... Omaha to do such a thing. You know, he's always said that a barbarous relic borrowing from John Maynard Keynes, you spend all this money to dig gold out of the ground, and then you have to dig a hole and put the gold back in the ground and guard it, spend money to guard it. It's not a productive asset, but I guess uh, buying a mining stock probably works better for him. Yeah, this is a very big deal. Um, you know, for people who have heard of Warren Buffett but don't know his backstory, he's basically the the greatest investor of all time, um, and by far the most famous investor of all time. And he's always been a critic of gold because, like you said, it it doesn't create wealth; it just sits there. Which you know, a gold bug would say he he just misunderstands the nature of gold because it's not an investment; it's not something that builds capital. It is capital. It's it's like um, it's money, you know, so it competes not with Google stock or Coca-Cola stock, but with the dollars that you would have in your bank account or under your mattress or wherever. Um, and in that sense, it's done brilliantly since, well, forever, but since 1971, gold, when gold was 35 bucks an ounce, it has continued to go up year after year after year, irregularly, but overall against the dollar. So it's done better as a form of money than has any fiat currency. So it's done its job. And, and you know, he thinks of it as an investment and dismisses it because it doesn't generate cash flow. Um, and he's been wrong all this time, although he has made a ton of money. So you can't you can't really fault Warren Buffett's ability to make money, whether it's through um, investing acumen or by gaming the system, which is what he's done lately. But um, now he's on our side, you know, he went out and bought himself a big position of a big gold miner, which is a big siege. And, and, you know, at the same time, he sold uh, bank stocks. He sold bank stocks in order to, uh, to shift into gold miners. So that's a really big deal because now, um, you know, even Warren Buffett gets it. 
Um, and what he gets is that gold is probably going to go up over time because you wouldn't buy a gold stock if you thought gold was going to go down. So he thinks the world is, uh, you know, in such a, a way that gold will continue to rise and that'll make Barrick a better and better investment over time. Um, so it's a big deal. You know, it's, it's one more big name among a lot of big names moving into gold lately. And um, it, it, that won't be the end, you know, pretty soon uh, most of the mainstream investing community will, will be picking up on precious metals because um, well, let, let's from here move into another related story that, um, that, that ties into gold's future because um, food prices are starting to go up. Yeah, commodity price inflation is alive and well. Copper is up, gold and silver and food. We're seeing pork prices, all these things didn't mean to interrupt, but, but oh, the point okay. is, you know, that uh, I believe copper, copper is up to almost three bucks a pound and not on supply dynamics. It's strictly an inflationary move, in my opinion. I think we're seeing the beginnings of major inflationary move in, in society, in the economy, in the world. Well, okay. The, the reason why that this is huge is that we, we've always been, or, or at least recently been a, an economy with raging inflation, but it's been in stocks and bonds and real estate and things that don't show up in the consumer price index. So that allowed the government to say, oh, we're in a low inflation environment. Prices are well-behaved, but they were just looking at food and a, a handful of other things that are considered uh, the cost of living for an individual. Uh, but now if that is going to start going up, in other words, if food is going to go up and some of the other things in the CPI start to go up, um, then we have inflation as the government defines it. And as you know, the, the New York Times and CNN will report it. So all of a sudden you're going to see these headlines uh, about inflation being back and uh, prices are rising and the cost of living is going up. And see the 99% of the population that views that as the only measure of inflation is suddenly going to get spooked because they, they've up till now thought inflation was really low. And when the mainstream of society decides that inflation is starting to rise, I mean, that's part of the, the dollar collapse thesis. When, uh, when everybody um, realizes that it's explicit government policy to make the dollar worth less and less year after year, you act accordingly, right? You bail on the dollar and you buy real stuff. And um, only a tiny part of the population has been doing that so far because everybody else is looking at the CPI and thinking inflation is really low and there's no real need for something like an inflation hedge. Uh, that'll change if the CPI starts going up by three or four or 5% a year and food price inflation is an early sign that that might happen. So this is, you know, you combine um, somebody um, like Warren Buffett, who's a huge investor and a critic of gold starting to get into gold and um, components of the CPI starting to go up and, and you get a really different environment going forward. And that looks like what we've got going now. Yes, it certainly does. I think the worm has turned, John. I mean, in China, the price of pork, now granted, they've got a swine flu epidemic, a whole bunch of things going on, flooding and everything else. Price of pork went up 90%. But we're seeing what happens in China. They're losing millions of acres of arable farmland due to these floods. And they're hitting the world market really heavily, trying to make up the difference. And this is driving up food prices as well. And uh, not to mention all that money kicking around 
You know, uh, I was always against uh, welfare be food stamps because the poor are just going to blow all that money on food. Somebody once said, right? Well, yeah. And, you know, you can trace some of this back to the uh, the pandemic, which has disrupted the food supply chain. But as you said, there are a lot of other reasons for it. And, uh, and you know, it's not demand. We're eating the same amount or we would like to be eating the same amount in a lot of cases as we have in the past. But um, even the, the food just isn't available and that's sending prices up. Um, and, the, you know, there's no reason to think that um, we get the supply chain issue under control anytime soon, because it doesn't look like the lockdowns are going away in the U.S. And, and um, China just seems to be a a, a pandemic incubator now, right? If, if it's not <laughs> one thing, it's another thing. You know, they, and they had oh, another disaster. thing just break out that uh, that has moved from pigs to humans. There was a uh, is this Correct. a new pandemic story um, circulating just lately here? So um, it's oh, and lumber prices are way up too. Yeah, in, in yes. part because of the the pandemic. So so we're seeing a lot of supply chain disruptions, and that's what's feeding into the CPI. Um, and, you know, unless we get our act together right away, which it doesn't look like we're going to, that means prices are going to print higher for at least the uh, the next few months and maybe for, you know, another year or two. And that, that's that's just a huge deal. I can't uh, can't overstate the importance of uh, a CPI at three or four percent. And meanwhile, the Fed is saying that's what they want. They're saying they will take um, a higher inflation rate and actively try to engineer it going forward um, to make up for the fact that it's been too low for too long, which is astounding. You know, these guys look out into a world of soaring stock prices, soaring bond prices, soaring real estate prices, soaring tuition costs and soaring healthcare costs. And they're disappointed because prices aren't rising fast enough. It's it's shocking. You know, it, it, it almost feels like a conspiracy because nobody can be that dumb, right? How can a professional economist say things like that? But they're, they're saying it. And, um, and if they mean what they're saying, that means they're going to actively try to engineer this higher CPI, which looks like a catastrophe from their point of view, but maybe they, they see it in the short run. In other words, in electoral terms, as the best thing to do because it helps them win the next election, however they define winning. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it looks like we're seeing some big changes that maybe aren't getting the press they deserve right now, but that, that will, you know, this stuff is going to be front page news going forward. Oh yes. Oh yes. And uh, it's, it's inevitable. You, you know, this is classic uh, inflationary environment where you actually have productivity the supply of goods and services going down at the same time you're getting the supply of money going up. And now the money has been handed out to individuals in the form of tax rebates in the form of uh, EPP payroll protection plan payments, SBA payments. And did you see that uh, Trump is even contemplating using FEMA to uh, disperse unemployment benefits to uh, for the next stage of of uh, stimulus payments, that was a pretty wild thing. Boy, it's like it's like the Democrats are trying to lose this election. You know, you nominate Joe Biden, who a majority of the population thinks is senile. Um, then, instead of cutting some kind of a deal for stimulus relief 
or, or for coronavirus relief, um, so you can take credit for it, you um, deadlock the talks with Trump and then go on vacation. <laughs> yeah. That's where they are now. And and uh, what was the third? Oh, oh, and the third was you mismanage these riots so completely in Democrat-controlled cities. And so you make Trump the voice of reason. And and uh, that takes you know, a lot. <laughs> the guy who's willing to do what it takes to get things done. Um, on all these big issues. And so, um, you know, it's no surprise that in the latest polls, the race is tightening up. Biden had a, a 10 percentage point lead and most of that has evaporated or something like that. <laughs> Just, and why would that be a surprise to anybody? You know, Trump is the guy who's actually doing stuff and the Democrats aren't, even though they could easily, you know, they could be demanding um, bigger payouts to people. And even if Trump won't give it to them, that at least makes them look like they're trying to help the little guy. But they're not even bothering with that right now. So it's, a, you know, wherever you look, um, there are really dumb people doing really stupid things. And, and uh, that compounding could it. be scary to everybody. Yeah, Compounding the stupidity yeah. and the stupidity. You know, yeah, you're going to play chicken with Trump. Uh, you're going to wind up like, uh, which, who was it? Uh, James Dean uh, going off that cliff. And uh, there's nothing there to stop you. Speaking of doing stupid things, California is on the verge of passing a wealth tax, considering a big increase in their income tax to 16%. So the few rich people who are left there are, are going to flee. The billionaires are heading for the exits. And, you know, it's nice to put down billionaires and they don't pay their fair share. Billionaires aren't going to pay this tax. It's going to be the middle class and the rapidly vanishing middle class. And that's it. And the upper middle class, they're the only ones to pay the taxes. The wealthy don't pay taxes. Remember what Leona Helmsley once said to her servant, uh, taxes uh, are for the little people. <laughs> FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Arcana Corporation is on the verge of bringing the world's highest grade silver mine into production. The Revenue Virginius Mine in Colorado has proven improbable silver reserves grading nearly 37 ounces per ton silver with an all-in sustaining production cost of only US $8 per ounce of silver. The mine is fully permitted with infrastructure already in place and the company has announced they plan to commence production in 2020. Achieving successful production usually results in a significant upward share price re-rating on the Lassonde curve. Arcana trades under the ticker AUN in Toronto and AUNFF in New York. To learn more, go to arcana.com. That's A-U-R-C-A-N-A.com. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next. Well, um, wealth taxes are part of the script that we've been talking about for such a long time, where, where governments get so desperate because they've, they've built up so much debt that they have to find money from somewhere. And um, one of the places they look is obviously where, where the money is. So they start levying capital controls and higher marginal tax rates and direct wealth taxes on the obvious targets. And that never raises as much money as they think it's going to, which leaves them still desperate. So then once once they've set the precedent with these things by applying them to rich people, they start moving down the food chain and start um, trying to apply them to people who think of themselves as middle class. 
And then the middle class people rebel against that and try to avoid all of those new taxes and fees, et cetera, et cetera. And then they become criminals, of course, because they're violating the law. And the, the you know the government creates a police force to uh, to insist that middle class people. And so that's when you get basically the end of the the socialist experiment at that point because things turn so chaotic. And we are headed that way, you know. And California, as usual, is leading the way. They what what California does this year. Everybody else is at least considering five years down the road. So th- this is yet another thing that that may not be front page news yet, but might be pretty soon. Because if California does it, it imposes a wealth tax, and it, it looks like it's any kind of a success for the first year, then all kinds of other states will jump on the bandwagon, uh, and maybe the federal government will, depending on who's in charge. You know, if we'd elected um, Bernie Sanders, um, that would have been day one. You know, that w- a wealth tax of some sort, uh, and you know, you can't rule it out for pretty much anybody else who's in there because governments will be so desperate at some point um, that either they're just going to print absolutely insane amounts. Well, not either. It's both. You know, they will print insane amounts of money, uh, but they might be looking for it elsewhere. And see, that kind of feeds back into the uh, the whole sound money investment thesis too, the, or I'm sorry, uh, real asset investment thesis where you buy real stuff because you assume that it's going to do well in an environment where currencies are being inflated away. Uh, but then when governments start coming after, you know, your farmland or your rental house, or they want 5% of your stock portfolio every year or something like that, then you've got a, a separate challenge. You know, you figured out how to buy the right stuff and it's going up in value, but now you have to figure out how to keep it. And that, that's actually way more complicated. You know, that's that's a book length subject subject and it'll give us stuff to talk about for a decade, Gary, because <laughs> it's, it's going to be an ongoing story. Oh, it's but a we're, never we're ending seeing, story. Yeah. Well, we're seeing the early stages of this whole thing play out now. Uh, and once wealth taxes start being um, commonplace, then nobody is safe from them. And, you know, make no mistake, if you bought some silver from um, a even from a dealer, and even if it was a, you know, just a credit card transaction and otherwise anonymous, they know you got it. You know, they oh, yeah. they're somewhere that, and and if you stored it overseas in a vault in in Singapore or something like that, they know about that too. Uh, that's that's the combination of uh, surveillance capitalism and creeping fascism. Um, and, oh yeah, you know, it's a really scary prospect because they will know everything about you, um, and they will you know, they'll want your stuff. So uh, again, it's coming. We have to do what we can about it. But um, uh, the idea that we can completely avoid the consequences of of the past mismanagement of um, of the world is unrealistic. You know, this is going to be a battle for a long time. We've crossed the Rubicon for sure. A talking about the surveillance state and all that. uh, There's a movie that you absolutely have to watch out there. You too, John, called Shadowgate. And the woman who uh, did it, documentarian, she had worked for Alex Jones at one time. She's an up and comer in the hardcore conservative right. Uh, She was arrested over the weekend. And within two hours after, on Friday, within two hours after that, the movie was released. And it goes into the way that uh, your average person, hopefully not us, John, your reality is a complete fabrication of social media, of the media, of of the uh, deep state, and that um, it's fascinating. I have to watch it again. It's a good hour and a half long. 
If you can't find it on YouTube, it's on BitChute. Highly recommended. By the way, John, I got my first my first video pulled from YouTube. They wouldn't even let me post it about uh, why I decided to take uh, HCQ, or as Mark Dice would say, hydroxychloroquine. So they can't, uh, algorithm can't translate that. That's why he speaks that way. And I've now, I'm part of an exalted class. I guess I'm really an influencer now that they, uh, they won't even let me put a video up. Yeah, congratulations, Gary. You were important <laughs> enough to be censored now. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Anyways, well, Chicago and New York City, are they toast? Is it all over for them, John? I mean, God, uh, you know, I spent most of my life in New York City, either living there, working there, and then later on working there. And I can't even stand to go to the place. And that was before the riots. God only knows what happened. They were having an inflationary spiral in New York that really wasn't captured by the uh, statistics just to go out, get dinner or buy anything because every building is so indebted. And oh, and then we have that issue of the Mall of the Americas, the largest mall in the United States and the largest commercial mortgage in the United States. They couldn't make the uh, debt payments for the past few months since the pandemic. I think the two stories are kind of tied together, aren't they? Well, yeah, let, let me take the uh, the mall story first. Um, did, did you see what um, what's happening, how malls are being repurposed now? They're becoming Amazon warehouses. <laughs> <laughs> so at least they're, you know, they're being put to a good use. I thought it was going to be Tesla showrooms, but uh, it, it probably makes more sense that they just, you know, um, tear out all the internal walls of, uh, of a big mall and just turn it into a warehouse to ship stuff uh, on the same day. Now, these big cities, this is heartbreaking to me because um, I lived in New York City in, in the 1980s and it was great. You know, that was, it was a great experience. It was an amazing place. One of the, the most amazing cities in the history of the world. And uh, in the last 72 hours, they had some, what, a record number of shootings and, uh, and they've still got Correct me if I'm wrong here, but they've still got protests that are kind of sort of riots going on there. Oh, yeah, they got riots. Yeah. So, and, so in New York, there is no method for the voters to recall their politicians. However, the governor has the right to remove mayors upon showing of the fact that they're either like really doing something criminal or they're completely criminally negligent in their management of their uh, job. And yet Cuomo here has refused to even take a look at comrade uh, de Blasio and knock him out and take him out and put in, uh, put in somebody there who actually wants to restore order. That tells you everything you need to know. Cuomo is complicit in this. This is what they want. And that goes into your other story of who said riots are good for the Democrats. Well, yeah. Um, it, it looked at first like um, this was politically good for the party that's out of power. I mean, you know, when, when bad things happen, the, the party in power gets blamed for it and the opposition benefits. And that's how it started with uh, with these riots. But they've gone on for so long. And Trump has been the guy saying, you know, let me let me send in some soldiers. I'll help you. Please let me help. And uh, and these governors are saying, no, we're not going to have federal intervention. And, and, and meanwhile, you know, small businesses are being burned down and everybody's boarded up and everything there. There are these videos now of downtown 
Portland, which is another heartbreaking story for me because that was also a great city to hang out in. And, uh, and it looks like a ghost town now or, a, you know, a Mad Max movie or something. And the fact that Democrats are in charge while all this is going on, it looks like it's starting to rebound on them, you know, and starting to help Trump politically. And um, so this is just a really complicated political situation, too, because you got people. I, I think the, um, the Democrat mayors were, were less appalled by this stuff than they might have been otherwise because they thought it helped the Democrats politically. And now that it's not, you're, you're seeing them start to crack down, right? You know, the, the, the mayor of Portland accused the protesters of attempted murder just lately because they set fire to a police station. And, uh, and the mayor of Chicago is, is um, starting to try to crack down on, uh, and, and they're also closing their business district down at like nine o'clock at night. They're lifting bridges up so people can't come in from the outskirts of the city and stuff. And, you know, so, so they're starting to do stuff, but um, for them to really crack down, hurts them with their base. So, you know, it's, it's um, politically, it's an incredibly complicated situation, but it does look like it's breaking Trump's way right now. And um, that makes the November election even more complicated because this is super close and, you know, the mail-in ballot thing doesn't work in a bunch of states and, and it takes three weeks, you know, the, the, we, we have the potential for chaos uh, that is national when one side feels like it's been cheated and uh, and takes to the streets because it's a contested election and maybe you know the lawyers are the ones who actually decided it and stuff like that and and uh, and so so we could have civil unrest relating to this election that is bigger and nastier than what we've got now and uh, at the same time we have inflation <laughs> at the same time the the economy isn't growing anymore you know the the, um, the, the end of this year is potentially really complicated and really scary. And, and that means next year when we thought there was going to be recovery and things were going to get back to normal, it doesn't happen. And uh, that means, you know, um, and so on. You know, the Fed has to cut interest rates in the negative territory. They have to increase the money supply even higher. The government has to run an even bigger deficit. So it's possible that the numbers of, of 2021 are even scarier than the numbers of 2020, which is just almost pretty scary in their own right. Just crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is hope on the way because the there is now a sound money caucus in Congress. I don't think they're exactly uh, taking the world by storm. But it is a start. How many guys are in this caucus now, John? A handful. But you know what? Better late than never, because, um, you know, there should have always been a group of people focused on um, the monetary system, because that's the, um, you know, that's the center of the problem. That's the, the upper center of the crisis that we've just been, uh, you know, allowing too much debt to be taken on and uh, in that way, financing too much government spending and so on and so on. Uh, and nobody really stood in the way of that explicitly. You know, Ron Paul with uh, and the Fed was the closest that we got. And he had zero followers in Congress. So that there are three guys now whose main thing is sound money is at least a start because, you know, they can't stop what's coming. You know, the, the, there is going to be a gigantic financial crisis or historians might say we're, we're already in that financial crisis now. Um, and it's going to lead to some kind of a huge monetary reset. But if we have a coherent voice in Congress, that argues for a return to constitutionally defined sound money and constitutionally limited government and, and individual freedom, then, you know, at least there's a place to look 
for people who want to join that argument on that side. Because right now it's, you know, there's, there's no place you can go to be surrounded by people who agree with something like that. And if, um, if it attracts followers, then that means there's a political market for stuff like that. And you'll get more Congress people uh, coming on board. And maybe when the argument takes place about what to rebuild from the rubble, uh, we'll have a coherent voice in Washington arguing for a return to something that we know will work, you know, that's, that it's is constitutionally consistent and everything, instead of what we'll have, you know, if it happened today, we would have an argument between big government and all powerful government. And, um, you know, there, there's no winner in that argument, but it's at least conceivable that uh, what's starting in Congress now um, is the core of an argument that has a chance of winning in the future. I totally agree with you there, John. Uh, at least we can maybe have the debate, but I think uh, debating has been um, been canceled out by the cancel culture. You're not allowed to debate. You either agree with us or you're the Antichrist. And there's kind of no middle ground anyway. That's going to remain to be seen. So we'll be back next week. Maybe we'll, maybe the caucus will catch fire, John, and we'll be really surprised by it. That would be great. Anyways, take a look at dollarcollapse.com. Take a look at financialsurvivalnetwork.com and sign up for our newsletters. John, we will uh, we'll resume next uh, Monday. Same time, same channel. Thanks, Gary. See ya. FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next.